Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. Hey, Cardio Nerds family, it's Dan Amender here. Join us again for this novel adventure as we journey through the maze of clinical practice guidelines. In this series, Decipher the Guidelines, we will take a deep dive into the 2021 ESC Cardiovascular Prevention Guidelines, focusing on similarities and differences from the American guidelines. This is a collaboration between the Cardio Nerds, the ACC Prevention of Cardiovascular Disease Section, the National Lipid Association, and the Preventive Cardiovascular Nurse Association, developed with mentorship from Dr. Eugene Yang. And remember, Cardio Nerds is a fellow-founded, independent educational platform. The views expressed here do not necessarily reflect the opinions or policies of our employers. Do be a nerd and spread the word on social media and help others find us by rating and reviewing the show on your favorite podcast platform. And hey, hope you're enjoying the intro music, custom mix for Cardio Nerds by student Dr. Hirsch Elhetz, aka DJ Elhetz, medical student at USC and Cardio Nerds Academy intern of House Thomas. And with that, it's time to get nerdy. The following question refers to section 4.8 of the 2021 ESC Cardiovascular Prevention Guidelines. The question is asked by student Dr. Christian Faborg Anderson, answered first by UCSF resident Dr. Jesse Holtzman, and then by expert faculty Dr. Melissa Tracy. Dr. Tracy is a preventative cardiologist, former director of the Echocardiography Lab, current director of cardiac rehabilitation, and solid organ transplant cardiologist at Rush University. Christian, what do you have in store for us today? Thanks, Dan. Yeah, I've got a question about some new exciting medications, but I need a little help figuring out the answer. Here it is. A 62-year-old man with a history of non-obstructive coronary artery disease, heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, EF 30 to 35%, stage 3 chronic kidney disease, and type 2 diabetes mellitus presents to your clinic to establish care. His only medications are aspirin 81 milligrams daily and metformin 1000 milligrams BID, which he has taken since being diagnosed with diabetes mellitus five years ago. His hemoglobin A1C is 6.8. What changes would you recommend to his medications at this time? A. Start glipizide. B. Start saxagliptin. C. Start empagliflozin. D. No changes. Jesse, do you think you'd help us out with this question? Christian, what a great question. I'd have to go with C, start empagliflozin. So trials involving SGLT2 inhibitors and GLP-1 receptor agonists have shown cardiovascular benefits independent of glycemic control and metformin use. The ADA recommends metformin as a first-line therapy for all patients with type 2 diabetes. The ESC also recommends metformin as first-line therapy, but only in patients without ASCVD, CKD, or heart failure. So if a patient has ASCVD, metformin can be considered. Rather, for those patients with type 2 diabetes and ASCVD, the ESC recommends the use of GLP-1 receptor agonists or SGLT2 inhibitors with proven outcome benefits to reduce cardiovascular disease and cardiorenal outcomes. Additionally, for those with type 2 diabetes and either CKD or heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, the ESC recommends the use of SGLT2 inhibitors to improve outcomes. So in contrast to what the ADA says, the view of the ESC is that metformin should be considered but is not mandatory first-line treatment in patients with diabetes and ASCVD or evidence of target and organ damage. The initiation of metformin in such patients should not forego or delay the initiation of evidence-based SGLT2 inhibitors or GLP-1 receptor agonists. So for this patient, the next best step is to start an SGLT2 inhibitor given his history of CAD, heart failure, and CKD. 
So while this patient's A1C goal is within the recommended range, which is less than seven, given that he has CAD, heart failure, and CKD, an SGLT2 inhibitor should still be added to his regimen. For the other answers that you mentioned, saxagliptin is a DPP-4 inhibitor, which is a class of drugs that showed no effect on major adverse cardiac outcomes, but increased the risk of heart failure hospitalization in patients with diabetes and other existing comorbidities. Just to mention, there are lifestyle management techniques that are important for this patient as well and should be a top priority in the management of diabetes. Lifestyle interventions can include intensive lifestyle changes such as low-calorie diets and mean weight losses in a region of about 10 kilograms. That can lead to remission of diabetes in about 46% of cases at one year and 36% at two years. Other possible interventions could be smoking cessation, continuation of a low-saturated fat and high-fiber diet, aerobic physical activity, strength training, and reduction in energy intake for weight optimization. Those should all be recommended as first line for our patient here. So Christian, my takeaway for you is really that for patients with type 2 diabetes and ASCVD, SGLT2 inhibitors or GLP-1 receptor agonists should be recommended regardless of the background therapy or glycemic control. For patients with type 2 diabetes and CKD or heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, you should definitely consider adding an SGLT2 inhibitor as well. So Dr. Tracy, that was a lot of information. I'm wondering what your approach is to this type of patient. How do you start SGLT2 inhibitors or GLP-1 receptor agonists? And how do you view the difference in the guidelines between the ADA and the ESC algorithms currently? Jesse, thank you so much. I think this is a really important question, especially with landmark trials, which are showing benefit with diabetic therapies for outcomes with heart failure patients. Heart failure has been recognized as a common complication of diabetes with a prevalence up to 22% in patients with diabetes. Data also suggests that heart failure may develop in patients with diabetes, even in the absence of our traditional cardiovascular risk factors, such as hypertension, coronary artery disease, and valvular heart disease. There have been several longitudinal observational studies that have identified two to four times increased risk of heart failure in both male and female patients with diabetes as well as prediabetes compared to those patients who do not have diabetes. Type 2 diabetes was an independent risk factor for incident heart failure and increasing heart failure-associated mortality. The incidence of prevalence of heart failure are also increased in patients with type 1 diabetes. In addition, there is a bi-directional association between diabetes and heart failure. Furthermore, there are race differences with the prevalence of diabetes to be 47 to 56% for Black, Hispanic, and Native Americans. Similarly, with heart failure with preserved EF, diabetes is more common in Black patients at 40.5%. Hispanic patients at 40.9% compared to white patients. Thus, both patients with heart failure with reduced EF as well as patients with heart failure with preserved EF may be present in diabetes. For patients with diabetes and heart failure with reduced EF, the expected guideline-directed medical therapy will be to start with an angiotensin receptor neprilysin inhibitor because the paradigm heart failure study did show, comparing to enalapril, a 20% reduction in cardiovascular deaths and heart failure hospitalization when using the angiotensin receptor neprilysin inhibitors over enalapril. In addition, we should be using evidence-based beta blockers, mineral corticoid antagonists, and the SGLT2 inhibitors. 
Now, the guideline directed medical therapy options for heart failure with Preserdia are less well defined. The SGLT2 inhibitors are also now recommended in patients with heart failure with Preserdia. And the SGLT2 inhibitors have a Cinderella story. A 2007 paper published in New England Journal, which was a meta analysis, showed an increased risk associated with rosuglazone, which was a diabetic therapy which is no longer commonly used. It showed an increase in myocardial infarction borderline increase in cardiovascular death. The findings were subsequently found to be a failure, but the FDA mandated that all new glucose-lowering medications must have safety data with respect to cardiovascular events. In the case of the SGLT2 inhibitors, they demonstrated an unexpected cardioprotective benefit with a decreased cardiovascular death of 38%, a reduction in stroke at 14%, and a decrease in heart failure hospitalizations at 35% and all-cause death at 32% for patients with as well as without heart failure. The SGLT2 inhibitors are now guideline-directed medical therapy not only for heart failure with reduced DF, but also heart failure with preserved DF, regardless of the presence or absence of diabetes. In addition, they have also been shown to slow the development of kidney disease. The Emperor Preserve trial had a significant decreased risk of cardiovascular death, hospitalization for heart failure with and without diabetes for patients with heart failure with preserved EF. The GLP-1-RA medications also have small trials in patients with established heart failure that have been completed with results not suggestive of outcomes benefit. Despite the lack of conclusive direct heart failure risk reduction with the GLP-1-RA medications, their indirect beneficial effects on weight and blood pressure reduction, as well as reduced hypoglycemic risk and impact on atherothrombotic disease, are important considerations when selecting the best therapeutic options for patients with type 2 diabetes with as well as without heart failure. These are favored over the sulfonylureals. So I would agree with Jesse that the best choice for this patient would be choice C, start SGLT2 inhibitors. Thank you so much, Dr. Tracy, for sharing that Cinderella story of SGLT2 inhibitors. So my takeaways are as follows. For patients with type 2 diabetes and ASCBD, the ESC recommends the use of GLP-1 receptor agonists or SGLT-2 inhibitors with proven outcome benefits to reduce both cardiovascular disease and or cardiorenal outcomes. And that's a class 1 level of evidence A recommendation. Similarly, for patients with type 2 diabetes and either CKD or HEFREF, the ESC recommends the use of SGLT-2 inhibitors to improve outcomes as well. Again, a class 1 level of evidence A recommendation. So pretty much we should be using these medications much more widely than we are currently. I'll throw it back to you, Christian. Wow. Dr. Tracy, Jesse, thanks for that really educational conversation. As a medical student, I've started to hear a lot more about these drugs on the wards. It seems like they have a lot of potential benefit for folks with cardiovascular disease. Thanks again for those terrific clinical pearls. 